it's Loom Group's Andrea Lay, Backview's Melissa Burdick, the wizard of Woodland Hills Shree, and I'm PVSB from Flywheel, a division of Omnicom, and I'm coming to you today from the Catskills. Be playing Heckinger's Tuesdays and Thursdays. Before we get to the CPG Guys episode you've downloaded, it's the week of May 6th, and it's time for the Fresh Four, for curated news stories from the past week. We find them dependably intriguing. We hope you do too. We're brought to you through our partnership with Retail Wit, your one-stop shop for retail industry intelligence news, retailwit.com. It's retail right now. Over to you, Shree. In case you're wondering what this background is, I'm at, I'm at my father-in-law's house all the way in Chennai, India for the next couple of weeks. So what's the message of the week? Kroger Precision Marketing strikes a partnership with none other than Yahoo DSP. So Yahoo DSP advertisers now have access to KPM's audiences for both reach and measurement. Partnership marks KPM's second DSP partnership since last fall and ushers in a new focus on commerce media for Yahoo advertising in particular. Collaborations like this one will define the next phase of growth in retail media as retailers recognize the limitations of monetization on their own digital properties and seek incremental growth by expanding offsite. This is said by Sara Marzano, principal analyst at eMarketer. For advertisers, the delayed but still impending deprecation of third-party cookies, which is now on its way, continues to underpin every decision regarding digital advertising dollars. So solutions that safeguard their investments against that hold increasing appeal. Over to you, Andrea. Hello, Fresh 4 listeners. Walmart adds a new grocery line to its private brand's portfolio. Walmart has announced a new private label grocery brand called Better Goods. The line includes 300 items spanning categories such as frozen, dairy, snacks, beverages, pasta, soups, coffee, and chocolate. With most items priced under $5, Better Goods focuses on three key components, culinary experiences, plant-based, and made without. The retailer said Better Goods marks not only its largest private food brand launch in two decades, but also its fastest grocery brand brought to market. Over to you, Melissa. Thanks, Andrea. Uh, so, Savemark companies roll out in-store retail media networks. It's not enough that we have online. Now we're moving to in-store retail media networks. The Savemark companies plans to roll out in-store connect, an in-store retail media network powered by Quad Graphics Inc. To start, 16 of the grocery company stores will have digital screens, kiosks, end caps, shelf screens, and vertical banners throughout, allowing CPG partners to showcase promotions, product information, and recommendations to shoppers. The program will eventually roll out to all the Savemark companies, approximately 200 stores. This is Savemark's latest retail media effort, coming almost a year after a launch of its own retail media network. Over to you, Peter. Thanks, Melissa. Rite Aid expands Uber Eats' partnership for alcohol delivery in eight states. Nearly 1,000 Rite Aid stores will now offer alcohol delivery via retailers' expanded partnership with Uber Eats. Customers of legal drinking aid can get delivery from select stores in California, Idaho, Michigan, New York, Ohio, Oregon, Virginia, and Washington. Quote, our collaboration and trusted partnership with Uber Eats underscores our commitment to meet the evolving needs of our customers and providing a seamless digital shopping experience complements their busy lives, unquote, said Jeannie Walden, Senior Vice President and Chief Marketing Officer at Rite Aid, the U.S.'s third largest pharmacy retailer. That's it for the Fresh Four. Now on to the CPG Guys episode that you've downloaded. Welcome to another episode of the CPG Guys podcast. Our co-hosts, Sri Rajagopalan and Peter V.S. Bond, 
explore how brands and retailers engage with consumers online, in-store, and everywhere in between. And now, here are Shri and Peter. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the CPG Guys podcast. I am one of the aforementioned CPG Guys. I'm your co-host, Peter V. S. Bond. I'm also the Vice President of Retail Strategy at Power Reviews. And as always, I'm joined by my co-host. He is an e-commerce luminary. He is an entrepreneur. He is one of the smartest guys I know. He is the Moet to my Chandon. The, the Labrador to my Newfoundland, as opposed to Newfoundland. It's a Canadian thing. And he is the scary to my posh. Please join me in welcoming the man who goes by one name. He's so famous. Shri, how you doing today? Hardly, but doing awesome. And thank you for doing this with me. It's yep. been a pleasure and I can't wait. Get a week to get started okay. on the econometrics of supply chain. We are in the middle of our series on the economics and the profitability of e-commerce. We just finished episode one. If you made it through that, it was dry, but it was necessary. Now let's get into some of the, the core components of the overall calculation of profitability. Yes, sir. And the first thing you need to think about in e-commerce is supply chain. Yes, sir. So we're going to go through that and we're going to help our customers think about what they need to consider in supply chain models and uh, and then ultimately the challenges that they're facing. So let's go through this list by list. There, there are quite a number of different supply chain situations. The first one is where you just have pure play customers. Uh, the second one is an omni-channel customer. So Pure play is when they sell one method. It's typically all they're doing is selling Amazon. Yes, Amazon One P is is pure play. Omnichannel is more like a Walmart or uh, or a Kroger, yep. where they are selling through a number of different mechanisms. Then I have this concept of a three P marketplace where I'm outsourcing it, and that's a very interesting one. So that's where my product is available on a marketplace like Amazon, so but I'm not. Products. Yeah, but I'm not selling my product to Amazon. They may be helping me with the fulfillment in one service or another, but the actual taking it out of the pallet and putting it into uh, an eaches and packaging it up and getting out, Amazon might pick it up at my third-party partner's outsourced door, but it really is outsourced. Yeah. Uh, that yeah. is a great example. PharmaPax being a, a, a really uh, preeminent player yeah. in this space. The next one is 3P Marketplace where you are partially outsourced. Yes, sir. So maybe you're using an agency to do uh, some of the work on optimization and everything else there on the marketplace. That is a great example that you need to do that. And then a 3P Marketplace where I just wash my hands of it, I sell it to them, and it's their job to completely own that process. Correct? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Then we have to think about direct-to-consumer. The first one is obviously fully owned. Now we've we've talked about this in the past, but we think that probably the best example and, and manufacturers that are skilled to do fully owned direct to consumer are more often than not DSD companies because they're already structured to do picking in eaches. Absolutely. Or breaking down case packs from pallet quantities. Uh, and then there's D2C partially outsourced. So maybe there's some of the service that I'm I mean, yep. maybe I'm doing the picking, but then someone else is doing the fulfillment. I don't Absolutely. have to worry about that. Yep. And then D2C where it's just completely, completely outsourced. Yep. Yeah. And then, of course, 
B2B. Now, B2B is a really interesting one, and there's, there are certain categories. I know uh, Frito's a good example where they do a lot of B2B. We've talked about alcohol being B2B because of the three-tier system uh, and, and necessitates or promotes that kind of activity. And then lastly, uh, what is your model for supply chain when it's a distributor? Yeah, I want to just give an example of that yeah. one. You know, you categories like fragrances, where yeah. you, you, when you're creating an innovation, you rarely meet the MOQ, you always have ex excess inventories. How do you get rid of it? You go to a liquidator, or you go to a distributor made for this purpose who might also be operating a website like FragranceNet. Yeah. Great example. They're here to liquidate and they're here to get rid of the product. Sometimes you offshore that, you, you send it outside all the country. Of, all kinds of mechanisms. Liqu liquidation is a catch-all. Yeah, but the thing with offshore I want to caution people about is do watch out for rules and regulations. Not yeah. every country's rules and regulations are the same. But yeah, this is they run it on, they, they liquidate it, could be on Groupon. Yeah, and like, you can't say no. Otherwise, you're going to destroy the product. Yeah. What are you going to What are you going to do with all those Yankees World Series champion T-shirts that are that are useless when the Dodgers win? You got to get rid of them the somewhere. The same the Dodgers have been doing for hundreds of years when the Yankees have more than twenty championships. It's, we're still Dodgers. on that. We're Seven. still on that. All right. So hopefully, there we've given you some examples of different types of supply chain situations that you need to uh, that you will probably confront as you're building out your e-commerce strategy. Yeah, so yeah. why don't we, Peter, jump into the world of what are all the common challenges and opportunities seen They're across the board, and then we'll try our best to make this unique for these different models. Sounds good. All, all right. right, so let me ask you this, Shri. First question that, that typically comes up is, what do I need to do in supply chain e-commerce? That's a good one, Peter, because as naive as that question sounds, yeah. every company is asking this question. Like the consulting work I'm doing now across the board, many are asking me, okay, We've got a handle on our Amazon PL, we've got a handle on our Walmart Omnichannel, we know what to do with content, UGC. What do I do from a supply chain? No, I'll, I'll stop right now and I'll just say this that you and I know we both agree on. You will not succeed at e commerce if you don't ask questions. 1000%. You have to be deeply intellectual curious. Don't, don't, intellectual be, curious. don't be proud. Yes. Don't be arrogant. It's, it's okay to show that you don't know the answer. You want. To, you want to ask people who know. Succeeding in e-commerce requires incredible humility. Yeah, right a lot of it. So what do I need to do in supply chain e-commerce? The yeah. fact that you've asked that question is a good thing, which yep. means you're ready to actually absorb an answer. Exactly. Embark on your supply chain journey, not by running the race alone as a supply chain team, because you're going to have ideas dime to a dozen. You're going to go to conferences. You're going to hear from other people who are going to tell you what to do. Your best partner in this journey of supply chain is your Amazon team. Yeah. Start with them, what their needs are. Their they've been doing needs, this for years. They've been doing this for years. Get a relationship directly with the Amazon supply chain team as well, not just your sales team. Then eventually evolve from there with the learnings. Try to find productivity in chargebacks, and, and that can help the PL from an econometric ecosystem in a significant way. That can create productivity, yep. which then can be used to create multi-packs through the innovation cycle and you make marketing your partner. But the message here is a simple one. Do not try to run the race alone. Start with your Amazon team, work through the commercial teams into your marketing team. So I heard you mention learning. How do I educate? Because I, I suspect when I drop this on my supply chain team, there's gonna be sticker shock. 
associated with it. So yes. what, what do I need to do to educate my supply yep. chain team so that they're not freaking out over this? Yep, the clear answer to this is sending your team to a supply chain conference is going to be a self-fulfilling conversation, a self-fulfilling prophecy of what you want to hear. Because yep. you're going to talk about dimensions, weights, metrics, mm -hmm. box sizes, but you're not going to solve the big problem, which is how can I be successful at a Walmart or an Amazon mm -hmm. or in D2C. Yep. So the best way to educate the supply chain team is be best friends with you. I'm going to come back to with your Amazon yeah. team. If you can be Tired best friends with your yeah Amazon team, they're going to give you the education that that you need to, which is all encompassing, even Peter, T to C. Okay, that's good. Next question is: Is every locale, and by locale I mean every region, every country, every business unit, is it all the same? So Peter, absolutely not. Every business unit, every locale for your supply chain strategy absolutely is not going to look the same. Why is this the case? It's because if you take the U.S. market or the U.S. region, what's prominent is the Amazon ecosystem, wow, sure. followed by now growth in D2C, but really the omni-channel click and collect, which has surged in the last six months. Yeah. Each one of those presents different set of challenges and opportunities. But if you look at Western Europe, it's an e-commerce market largely shaped by click and collect only. Yeah. So if you look at Tesco, things of that nature, which means the skill set there is really of replenishment in store and forecasting. If you're not good at it, good luck. Whereas in US, it's last mile delivery. And then when I jump to Asia, which has a massively distributed and fragmented model for supply chain, yep. the skill set comes in understanding how to fulfill, period, okay. across the board. And you're looking at an Alibaba in China, which is your really D2C on a B2B platform, okay. which means you have to have D to C, but with scale in the case packs business consumer. model. But in the case packs business model. Yeah. So every business unit's changes and econometrics are radically different. You cannot copy the supply chain strategy from one region to another as a vanilla. There are plenty of tweaks along the way. Can you learn? Yes. All right, another one we hear from a lot of our listeners, which is they're just struggling with chargebacks and penalties. Yeah. This is very common in the industry. It happens a lot across the board. But it customers. happens in brick and mortar. Thank you, Peter. And that's exactly what I was able to say, about to say. When you struggle with chargebacks and penalties in brick and mortar, what do you do? You pay them. And what else do you do? You try and figure out how to fix your system so that you're not incurring them. We're going to cover this as part of yeah. our trade and allowances episode yep. five, yep. where we're going to talk through all the supply chain or several supply chain chargebacks. But it's a cost DGC. involved in supply chain that you just have to deal with. You have to deal with it. And it's you not have to, you have to accept it. You have to deal with it. You have to deal with it and attack it aggressively yeah. and look for productivity by lowering those expenses. The only way you can do that is by having a strategy on how to do it. Yeah. What if uh, my prioritization of the e-commerce supply is pretty low in my customer hierarchy? Yeah, so this is a very tough one to answer, but I but I do have a recommendation. Yep. So what happens here is often I've noticed that when it comes to inventory prioritization and Amazon or D2C will be at the bottom of the pile. So or all the other the, retailers, the customers, they get based on size. They get You're shipment. Based on size. They get shipment before. Yeah. So what I want to remind our listeners here, especially supply chain listeners here, why you need to fight for e-commerce to move to the top. Mm -hmm. or tier one when it comes to inventory allocation is when you go out of stock on e-com, you lose the listing. Yeah. When you go out of stock in the store shelf, you don't lose your listing. No. 
And so if you lose your listing, I think of that as a death warrant. Yeah. And so for that reason, you e-commerce has to be on the top tier of your prioritization when it comes to um, supply chain inventory planning. There's no debate. That is some very good advice, Sri. Um, and how do you manage for kind of peaks and valleys yeah. from a capacity perspective? Yeah. I, I, you do it in, in traditional brick and mortar. You, you've got to be able to do it in e-com. How do we do it in brick and mortar? What we do is the supply chain team gets a full view yeah. of the promotional activity taking place at a retailer. That could be a rollback. Yeah. That could be an NCP, a national consumer promotion coupon. Mm -hmm. That could be a specific event running. At That's a like customer. an FSI, right? Like an FSI. Yeah. And the way to do that is usually the freestanding insert. I should probably I used an I threw out an acronym. I didn't define it. Bad freestanding Peter, freestanding insert. insert. Those are the eight and a half by 11 pieces of paper that have copy and a little cutout coupon that used to go in the Sunday newspaper. Well, they still do. I, I occasionally get them, by the yeah, way. Yeah. So, so back, I love, back I love to, buying that Sunday newspaper. It's still that. Well, you got, you and I, I are old it. school. I it's a tactile so, experience. I, I like to touch it, feel it. I like my USA Today when oh, I travel There you well. go, McPaper. Absolutely, McPaper. McPaper. There you go. So peaks and valleys, you gotta yeah. handle it the same way. And what's not happening today, which is why this is a common challenge, yeah. is in today's ecosystem, your Amazon team and your PurePlay teams yep. do not engage with supply chain with the same energy that a Walmart team does. Usually the Walmart brick and mortar team, the C uh, CVS, any customer team is gonna have someone from supply chain as their key contact. Yeah listening into their weekly sales meetings, understanding the promotional activity. Amazon team, balls in your court, please do this. Welcome your supply chain team in. Get them and, in. And, and then they will be able to forecast much better and avoid this problem. All right, how about managing for omni-channel ah, click and collect? So this is a very unique and tricky one. Click and collect has many different names. Some call it BOPIS, buy online, pick up in store. Some call it BOPAC, buy online, pick up at I've curb. Click and pick. Uh, yes, click and Curbside pick. Curbside pickup, yeah. all kinds of names, but at the end of the day, this is when you buy online and you're going to a retail location of some sort. You're going to some other location to fulfill. To fulfill the product. Yeah. So in, in this sort of scenario, why is this even here in the first place? And the best place to learn is call your European counterpart. They are experts in click and collect because a good 20% of the retail business model in Western Europe is already click and collect. It's the majority of e-commerce today. And so you can learn from them very easily on what they had to encounter. But here's the most important piece of this that you're going to have to quickly adapt okay. and learn. It's forecasting. Yeah. Because click and pick is coming off the shelf. Right. Which means whatever you're sending to the customer warehouse for your brick and mortar business, that's the They're one They're siphoning off of that. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Ooh, one of my favorite pack sizes and these virtual bundles. Yeah. So let's try no merge. Let's define them. Yeah. Econometrics. Direct impact, because yeah. most of the time what's going to happen is your PurePlay team or your Walmart team, .com team, or any of your .com team, customer teams, what they're going to do is they're going to find if I sell an individual unit, yep. I incur a lot of fees because of the fulfillment cost. Mm -hmm. So why don't I build a three-pack? Okay. Three-packs are great because you're getting the sale of three units at the same time. Yeah. Three-packs are bad because what does it do for the brand equity? Sure. And then because it's an afterthought in the process, mm -hmm. econometrically, yeah. you are outsourcing it for trade customization, okay. which means you're adding another extra cost and a burden to the PNL. So if you're creating a multi-pack, you are adding cost to the ecosystem for sure. Okay. How do you avoid this cost econometrically? Or how do you improve and not create this line item burden? 
the best way to do it is we talked about education earlier. Yep. Yep. It is supply chain's responsibility with R&D and marketing mm -hmm. that when you create innovation, you address, do I need an e-commerce pack on day one? The answer doesn't have to be yes every single time. The answer yep. could very well be no. Yep. In which case, if the answer is no, there was a reason you said no. And if the e-commerce team comes to you and asks you later in the pipeline for it, you still say no. And here's why, because you've okay. already answered it up front. Yep. Yep. That's how you create e-commerce P&L product, product um, favorability Makes in sense. this equation. But I want to address virtual bundles. Yeah, Virtual bundles are a good thing. Can you give me an example of a virtual a, bundle? A virtual bundle is when you don't physically bundle together products as in via shrink You pick them individually, box. you put them in a box, what, the consumer what? buys it as a On the a website, they buy it as a bundle, but yeah. then the retailer is really putting three or four things in a box. Yeah. It's like a trade up into a basket. Regiment packs yeah, sure. are a great example. You don't have to create a predetermined regiment pack. You could sell a regiment pack. It's almost like taking a recipe for and dumping all the items into there a single trend and you're there paying you one go. price. You nailed it. But in the but in the back end, it's the retailer just picking a whole bunch of items. You you nailed it, Peter. Yeah. Okay. Uh, innovation. Yes. So we've addressed this a little bit. Yep. As in, I do believe strongly my own personal humble learnings, multiple categories, it came back to the same thing. Innovation in 2020. You must answer the question when you create innovation, what is the role of the SKU in e-com? Yeah. It shouldn't be the other way. This SKU was created for brick and mortar. How I, how do I have it through e-com or let me just not even do it in e-com or just keep it in brick and mortar. Yeah. It's how and what is the role of e-com, including what is the pack size. Uh, and lastly, this is something you're going to hear when you start talking about it from internal stakeholders, should I even support D2C? Yeah. So I'm glad we're asking and addressing the question, should I support D2C? Because all of a sudden, the fulfillment cost line item can be close to 20% of a P&L that they're not used exist. to seeing. That. They're not used to seeing those yeah. numbers. And can you imagine the dilution when that happens? Yeah. So what's in this D2C 20% dilution? Number one, there's fulfillment. Yep. That's pick, pack, yeah. ship. All three pieces. Okay. And depending on service providers you use, this could also be inbound, outbound, pallet storage, lots of complications. We'll address this in our D2C episode. There are so many pieces in the PNL that can completely radically break it down, which leads to the question, I'm a supply chain leader, should I support D2C? Yep. The answer is in 2020, commercially, D2C still remains for a brand the best vehicle to engage one-on-one -on -one and create a CRM, a consumer relationship, customer relationship. Need that first party management data. Ecosystem. Need that, that first, first party, party data. data. Loyalty base. So you have to learn it. You know, if I were to step inside of your shoes, I might even say this is non-negotiable. Thank you for saying that, Peter. It is non-negotiable, but I always think of D2C performance with purpose. Yeah. Ask the question as a supply chain leader, why do you want to be in the business of D2C? What is the, what is the purpose? If it's to build the first party data, then you have to accept that there's going to be a dilution in the PL. Yeah. The answer to why I'm getting into D2C of an existing brand and SKUs should never be it's going to be 8% of the channel. It will be dilutive. Sure. 100%. Sure. Wow. Okay. So we have really broken down the whole supply chain component of profitability. Great second episode, Shri. Thank you, I uh, can't wait for the next one. And it'll be your favorite media. Uh-oh. Coming up. Um, thank you everybody for joining us. I'll say that uh, the actual documents that are associated with it, including all of these 
uh, talking points that we went through. We're going to have it in one concise document. You'll find it, a link to it on cpgguys.com. Please go there for all of our content, podcasts, videos, glossary, other favorite all podcasts, it. all of that. We're going to have to start saying what are our favorite TV shows pretty soon, Shree. We're getting people there. Wanna we're getting there. People want to know. I already declared somewhere in an episode that I started with Saved by the Bell. Uh, that's true. That's true. All right, everybody. Well, thank you for joining us for this episode. And we look forward to part three of the Profitability Series here on the CPG Guys podcast. Goodbye. Thank you. Yep. The content in this podcast episode is provided for general informational purposes only. By listening to our episode, you understand that no information contained in this episode should be construed as advice from CPG Guys LLC or the individual author, hosts, or guests, nor is it intended to be a substitute for research on any subject matter. Reference to any specific product or entity does not constitute an endorsement or recommendation by CPG Guys LLC. The views expressed by guests are their own, and their appearance on the program does not imply an endorsement of them or any entity they represent. The views expressed by CPG Guys LLC do not represent the views of their employers or the entity they represent. CPG Guys LLC expressly disclaims any and all liability or responsibility for any direct, indirect, incidental, special, consequential, or other damages arising out of any individual's use of, reference to, or inability to use this podcast or the information we present in this podcast.